0: everyone, and welcome back to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I'm Colin, your main host, and tonight I am joined again by Kevin. Welcome back. Thanks for having me again, Colin. All right. So, folks, we told you, and here we are. We are returning with our Legend of Korra discussion, and we are continuing today from Book 2, Episode 12, Harmonic. Convergence. So, as we kind of left off last time, things were getting pretty dire for Cora and the crew. Janora's spirit is still trapped in the spirit world. They whisked away her body to the South Pole using one of Varrick's ships, and now uh, they are seeing what they can do to stop harmonic convergence from happening. Now, thanks to some of the resources that they have, which even though are great, are still pretty limited. The crew is going in, clearly, outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned. Hamilton's still a thing, guys, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, obviously, with this last episode, some of the key things that we left off on is, first and foremost, we're getting real close to harmonic convergence. The stakes are at an all-time high. Uh, Janora, we don't even know the fate of her. And on top of all of that, Cora uh, still hasn't been told the truth about what happened between her and Mako. So there's there's that whole thing just like, you know, marinating in the air. And, you know, we're going to get into that because we have a nice little bit that kicks off this episode. Um, so without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into this. Um, actually, sorry, before we get into this, uh, just a quick update. New York Comic Con did come and go. And unfortunately, no news. Uh, we thought that there might be something But uh, from what we found and all of the tweets and all the initial uh, testimonies from people there, no news. So we just got to keep our fingers crossed. And once we hear something, you'll know you'll hear from us. So now let's dive into this episode. Harmonic Convergence was written by Tim Hedrick and directed by Ian Graham. This is a pretty familiar combo. They've been uh, writing and directing a good chunk of the episodes throughout Korra, um, and kind of no surprise that they're here for this one as well. Some of the things that we're going to be focusing on in terms of our points of discussion for this episode is Boomy's kind of redemption arc, quote-unquote, some complex fight scenes with high stakes and breaking those down, and then the end result in kind of what's to come leading into this end game. So... Before we kind of go scene by scene here, without kind of giving too much away, Kevin, initial thoughts when you revisited this episode um, and kind of how this begins and where your mind was kind of going uh, as it kind of prepared you for this final showdown for the end of book two.
1: Even knowing a final showdown was eventually coming, these were some of my favorite fight scenes and combat scenes. I think especially because it wasn't just bending related, though bending was involved. <laughs> but uh, I, I just, I forgot how I, I think the end of this season really made up for a lot of what was going on earlier on in it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, they, I think that there was a lot that they, you know, Susan and I talked about this previously in the fact that it, this season would have benefited greatly from having more time more episodes almost like an avatar season's length and you know one of the most tragic parts that we left off on from last episode was that (sighs) tarlock really just his whole arc between him and his brother it really petered out it fizzled and we didn't really get a very clean conclusion um and it was, it was definitely a little disappointing. There were some things that, you know, it, it ended, but you can clearly tell that they ended it so they could get to this main conflict, which still has its great moments, but we still missed out on a lot, I feel. All right. So first scene, as we open back up, we see uh, Boomy is playing the flute while Kaya heals Janora and Korra goes at some training dummies. Um, so we are on Varric's ship and they are headed towards the South Pole. And it, it's very interesting. This uh, episode does has a great use of symbols and right off the bat, you have Boomy playing this flute, which is going to be a key element of this episode. So, we see Korra's letting out some steam. She's getting ready for the fight. And in the midst of all of this, Bolin is getting real with Mako. He's kind of you know asking when he's gonna give the news to Cora about break- them breaking up, and then we get this truly beautiful moment, whereas Mako's hemming and hawing uh, over it. <laughs> Bolin's just like, you know, someone once told me <laughs> that breaking up should be like tearing off a blood sucking leech and getting
1: over it. He's just <laughs> such a quality quality <laughs> contribution, Bolin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man, you know, Bowling got a lot of, he got a lot of crap thrown on him and he went through some tough times at the beginning of the season. And I feel like this is, you know, I, I feel like this, it doesn't get any more like brother uh, relationship <laughs> than this moment right here. <laughs> that it's just like him ribbing him and razzing him about all of this, you know, and it's as we kind of move on, Mako sees uh, Cora, as <laughs> Bolin is telling him this, we look over and Mako sees Korra, decapitate one of these training dummies, <laughs> and, like, hesitates. And Bolin is just loving it.
1: <laughs> uh, so Susan is chiming in here, which is really cool, while she's on the road, uh, trying to write in. My, my quick one on this, so that way I don't steal her thunder, is I felt like this was Nickelodeon trying to get away with, like, someone, like, squeezing, like, two, like, grapes and (laughs) and crushing them. (laughs) Since they couldn't do that, they're like, why don't we just have Cora decapitate some dummies while she's going uh, beast mode on them? Yes, absolutely. I love it. And then uh, I love this from Susan. This is probably my favorite, one of my favorite scenes because I felt like we had some vengeance for Bolin and how he just had his heart massacred early on in season one.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Poor Bolin. And, you know, it's it's just some nice, like, comedic relief going into this. And, you know, then we see Bumi go on about his uh, wild adventures and how they need strategy and is very, like, in it. And Tenzin is just not having it. Um, He is, like, you can tell Tenzin is just, like, at an all-time, like, high for his stress level. Which is understandable. His daughter is, like, her spirit is lost in the spirit world, and the very world itself might be over if they don't complete this. And uh, it's a very (laughs) tense exchange that we'll see uh, even more of kind of going through this episode.
1: I like uh, Susan's contribution. Anyone feel like Boomy spent some time with Uncle Sokka? He He has chaotic stories, which Sokka did too. I think it's a segue to a character flaw in Tenzin we just haven't seen him over yet. Huh? Oh. Come yet. Yeah. Absolutely. Ooh, I like that. I, I think it's I
0: think, you know, Bumi really uh serves as a great foil in this moment especially because again, it it is this it's very much uh not taking things, you know, too seriously, which is is very interesting because, you know, his father, Avatar Aang, you know, never really took things too, too seriously and, you know, always kind of had like this lighthearted nature to him, at least from what we saw in Avatar. Um, but it, it, it's this example, I think, of just the the mounting pressure that's been, you know, really hoisted upon Tenzin's shoulders as being uh, the son of Aang, the like only like airbender, uh, besides his children and kind of having to kind of do that and susan continued by saying perhaps this is what keeps him from the spirit world is the inability to relinquish control and accept and listen
1: yeah i think that's a great point actually i like that he, he's he's not being present with what's happening mm. and that's keeping him out i i think it's an interesting theory yeah you
0: know and it's it's interesting you know, kind of reflecting on this like initial scene here that Boomy is sharing stories like this in the face of imminent doom, and I think that it's also very much a coping mechanism too. I mean, it's just in the face of like really intense, scary situations, sometimes humor is the outlet for a lot of people, and I think that you really do see the influence of Uncle Saka on Boomy in a big way because I think that you know, Sokka was able to also help keep it light at times when they needed it too. And then we have Mako choosing not to tell Korra the truth. I, I don't know, what, what what's your take on this? Because the more I thought about it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I understand he, he really needs to like, you know, be honest with Korra. But his reasoning in this moment here is she has a lot on her plate we have the fate of the world in the balance here. And if I tell her this, is this going to make things better or worse? And I think he thinks it's going to make things worse.
1: It's kind of hard because I'm trying to tell if he's trying to play both sides, which I mean, he's a teenage male probably. Um, Or, or that, yeah, I'm kind of with that, or even thinking that maybe he's he's viewing it as like he actually genuinely, you know, is actually transitioning, you know, eventually to the more friend side of thing, which is that he is just genuinely trying to help Avatar Korra.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I mean, there's a lot of we've had it. We've had our you know our our hashtag a lot for this season has been hashtag read the room, Mako. and um you know, I I think that. This is very much him reading the room, I think, at long last, because even though I think he needs to, you know, be honest with Korra, it's, I, I don't know, I don't see how him telling her that is necessarily going to help the
1: situation. Um. Where I agree. are at and it's but you it, couldn't pick any worse timing if he tried to do that right now exactly
0: yeah and i mean it's but it's i think it's the and i think you know as we kind of get into the next two seasons i think it's very much you know even though he's making this choice to do this there are going to be consequences for this and i think that by him not being honest earlier is just going to make the entire thing that much worse um And I think that as they're kind of approaching this uh, confrontation, that he just sees that, all right, now's not the time.
1: Yeah, He'll win the battle, but he won't win the war. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So Asami hears word that there is a distress signal from the southern troops. And we see that the crew finally arrives down there. We see that many of these troops have been injured and that Katara is tending to them. They all go to Katara thinking that she's the only one who can help Jenora. And it's really this, uh, it's this moment where they are, they're at a loss of what to do. And clearly the Southern Water Tribe has been beaten back. All of these soldiers have been hurt. And it's all as a result too, with Tarlock being, you know, defeated. And it, this final assault that they did just being completely thwarted by Unalaq. And Susan brings up a point here where she said, Has, have no other amazing waterbending healers come forth in so many years?
1: Even okay ones. It's a very good point. And like, I feel like this was a missed opportunity by the entire Water Tribe.
0: You know, we talked about this before in our discussion for last episode, in that it was interesting that all of the soldiers that fought alongside Tarlock during that assault on the Southern Water Tribe to try and take it back, they were all men. And I think it is very much this instance of, even though progress has been made, there is still a lot of old roots to their culture and traditions that I think they're not necessarily going to shake, um, even within a single generation. And... I think that this is a great example of that where it's just like, okay, you know, where are where are the healers? You know, and it, it's, it's been established in the previous show that it was only the women that could heal, but, again, missed opportunity. You could have had, like, an actual, like, you know, maybe, like, a male healer in this moment. Or when the soldiers charged with Tarlock, you had women fighters. And it's just, again they went just very simple for the purposes of the story, which in one degree you understand, but on the other end, it's, again, feeling like missed opportunities, which has kind of been the vibe for a lot of book two, I feel like. Yeah,
1: I think that's a good point.
0: So as they're there, Boomy continues sh- his like story sharing, and a spark of inspiration uh, kind of comes to Asami As he's like saying this, and and I love this too, because I think it's a great way to include Asami's perceptiveness that as he is telling this story about how, you know, he had to assault this one place with a catapult and hog monkeys and Asami realizing, well, we don't have a catapult and hog monkeys, but we do have a sky bison and airplanes. And, we start to see the gears begin to turn an
1: idea begin to form. Oh, because he said something really crazy. But not that crazy as we find out. <laughs> well, and and I think it's very much uh that
0: um I think this has a lot of spirit of Sokka in this. And I think we see a lot of that in this episode, that it is this idea of thinking outside of the box and like really thinking a little crazy and I think it's also I mean if not Sokka it's exactly Boomy, like his namesake I mean so much of the first lesson that Aang learned from Boomy when he went to Amashu for the first time was that you have to think like a mad genius and I Ooh, feel like good callback this is such a moment of like thinking like a mad genius it's it it totally tracks
1: and 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 you know what this is what you need when you're in a completely desperate situation there are no bad ideas. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so after we have this scene and the gears are beginning to turn and we think that they're going to have a, uh, a plan at hand, we see a scene with Unalak and Eska and Desna and he unveils to them that after today there will be no water tribes or nations of any sort. A little... Haunting and
1: some major red flags. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one that's the moment where like you're you're laughing along, like, yeah, yeah, this will be good. Oh you're crazy. And Susan made the note from the original series
0: No Nation but Fire Nation. And she says Cora just had to go the complete opposite with no nations. Just me, Supreme Chancellor. Wait, <laughs> it's all
1: <laughs> circling back to Star Wars. <laughs> oh, we just—I I loved her uh, her commentary, and this is fantastic.
0: <laughs> you know, we just—we just hear the echoing voice of Unalak, uh, you know, being broadcast across the four corners of the world. There will be no nations,
1: only one galactic planet. Oh my god, what a
0: great way to, uh. to link it to this story. So, looking back at these scenes, the situation at hand and the odds that they're up against, I, I think that it's really setting it up for... uh, It's setting up the stakes, and it's setting up a really just great scenario of them knowing that, like, okay, we, the cards are fully stacked against us. We have to... Come up with something. And like you said, at this point, no idea or any idea is at least a good idea moving forward because you have to try everything. And then Unalak descending farther into madness, it's this really interesting part, too, where, you know, we saw the delusion that, you know, he had towards his own brother. When they confronted, and now we're even seeing it farther with his own kids. And it, I feel like they re they pulled back a little bit. Like we are seeing some like madness from him, but it's like he's still maintaining his composure. Um, more than I feel like, you know, I feel like somebody in his position would. In when Susan and I were talking about this last time, we we're like, you know, what is this? connection that he's making with vatu is it having uh some kind of adverse effect on his on his body is it having like you know some kind of visible uh change that is happening to him that i feel like again it's a missed opportunity to be able to show the negative connection that he is making with vatu that would really show how far he is kind of going and instead they're doing it more with lines in telling rather than showing. I don't know. What's what, what are your, some, do you feel like that this is translated well enough or do you feel like that this was another instance of, uh, I liked what you guys
1: went over in the last episode. I was thinking the same thing, which is, I feel like it is just one of those. If you had more time to develop it, it could be a little bit less. Like all of a sudden Unalak is just, you know, a lackey of, um, Vatu, or something like like a little bit more give and take, where he thinks he's getting something over on Vatu, Vatu's is getting something over on him. Um, because I think the, the most truly evil people are the ones that think that they're very right, um, mm-hmm. only to find out later just how wrong they are. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that that was kind of here, but also kind of what you guys were saying with Vatu and him. I, I don't know, kind of sort of, I guess, translated, but I something again just i think another uh, you know dog ear on book 2 which is that there were just things i would have loved be developed
0: more well and you you think about the um motivation uh behind uh the villains i mean especially even looking back at last season amon you don't have a, you don't have a more clear-cut villain in terms of motivation he wants equality he wants benders to be on the same level as, or wants non-benders to be on the same level as benders, and he wants to do that either through technology or by taking bending away, so that there is there isn't this like power difference that has existed for uh, forever. But with Unalak, he has a connection with the spirits, and he feels like humanity has kind of lost its way. But again. You know, it's not – how is he demonstrating that? How is, like, what is he doing to uh, bring spirits closer together with the rest of the world? It, it In the signs that we get, even later in the episode, we see some of these spirits hanging around. They're ominous as hell. They all look spooky. And it's just like, this is the world you want to, like people to adjust to? It's just like, you're not yeah, really selling the it. chance that
1: – Agreed. The chance that they had to make it almost seemed like what he was doing was could have or even could have been construed to be a good idea mm-hmm. has been lost. Um, I granted a while back when he told Cora that I'm going to end you and I want to be, <laughs> you know, the raster and all that. But um, oh, it's like I feel like they, they, yeah, that chance to have it actually seemed like what he was doing. Like you know, Amon I mean, for a decent part of the season, you kind of had to have in the back of your head maybe he's right. Mm -hmm. like Unalak like bringing the spirit world and the real world together like in some ways seems bad but you know what? well they've had it on the solstice it's happened before um and now you have the avatar back so should be able to keep balance like this could be a good idea um but that was like completely trashed pretty early on in this season and he became just a villain villain like no redeeming quality
0: yeah I mean he became the villain in Varric's mover I mean, like that's that's like the irony of this season is that they made him. Oh, you're deep. And Varric's mover is like he became this, just like ah, yes, my doomsday machine will be able to end the world, and <laughs> it's just like reverse the magnetic poles, and it's like it's so silly, but it's like that's kind of what he is because we're not seeing like the benefit of what he's doing, and a lot of it is because the forces that he's dealing with. And again, I think you show this, what is the connection between him and Vatu? Does like, is, does he need to like recharge with Vatu or go to the spirit world? What happens to him when he's too far away from it? Maybe he has a dependency on the spirit world. Maybe when he's around certain spirits, they're calm. But then when he's like not around to be able to reel them in, they're becoming like more menacing and they're becoming more violent And how do people react to that? How does, like, the people on his side, how do the Northern Water Tribe soldiers, like, react to that? And we get one line later in this episode where a soldier kind of makes a comment, and it's kind of more used for comedic effect than it is for any kind of sincere commentary. Um, So, you know, and I don't want to get too lost in this, but again, it, it really is... I think we need to examine why that not only for us, but for many other people, why book two does have this feeling of why it doesn't feel right at times and why Unaloc is, I think by and large considered to be one of the weakest villains out of both series. And I think this is a lot of what it is. So moving forward, the crew makes their way by air and we see that, you know, they think that, you know, he's not going to see this coming. Well, cut to he saw this coming <laughs> and I, it gets us into no tropes. Oh, I know, but, but you know what? It gets us into what an incredible sequence uh, this is. This fight is absolutely incredible. It's so cool.
1: Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, Susan might as well have just said my line, which is uh, love World War II movies with air dogfights. So naturally, this is one of my favorites from book two. Hell yeah. And I'm with her. That was my comment at the start (laughs) of this episode is I'm like, nope, this was so freaking cool. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And we get to see this sequence of as the lone airplane flies ahead, uh, his forces try and fend them off. And we get to see just an incredible mix of Asami- flying this plane, dodging shots, weaving through the air, buzzing the ground, while we have Mako and Bolin, who are on the sides of the wings. They're making these barrages against the camp. Mako is firing firebolts, and Bolin using the detonating remote bombs from Varric to take out some of the other fighters on the ground. We see him using the earth, like, you know, these bombs attached to pieces of earth as he's able to just, like... You know, freaking GoldenEye style, like, you know, remote bombs, proximity mines, remote mines. Oh, what a call. (laughs) He's just throwing them
1: like whoops, whoops, whoops. (laughs) Oh, I just love that reference. Oh, God, that was so much a childhood coming back. Um, But I'm so with, I mean, this is what I loved of Korra Mm -hmm. is the mix of technology and bending. Yes. Like, and this is it in a dogfight? Hell yes. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's just showing, again, how much combat has evolved. And you do see that it is these really unique situations uh, or these really unique um, ideas put to action. We had Boomy kind of make this suggestion, but 100%, you know that Asami was the one that said, all right, I'm flying this plane. Bowlin, Mako, we're strapping you to the sides of the wings. Bowlin, you're going to throw bombs. Mako, you're going to throw firebolts. Let's go. Let's do this. Because even though we didn't see Asami say that, we all well know, know and well that that is where a lot of these ideas are coming from. And.
1: We know between the three of them who's running the show.
0: Absol- Absolutely. We, we don't need any more context clues than what we have seen throughout the first two seasons and what we're going to see in the next two. <laughs> so as the fight continues, we see that Ugi is suddenly locked down by spirits as Tenzin, Kaya, and Korra fight them off. <laughs> and then Boomy just goes flying off with one wrapped in his arms. It's just like, you're coming with me. <laughs> and they're like,
1: Oh, boomy <laughs> uh it's this is such a fun episode with it <laughs> you know but
0: it's it's very much also a uh classic like wartime or fight mechanic where you have the one person who is like uh separated from the rest of the group and you know we don't see what happens to them but we know it's going to come back in some way so it was a nice way to kind of bury this uh this upcoming story that we're going to have and We see them having this success, but then the tide of the battle begins to turn as Asami's plane is finally hit. And my God, does it take a long time for them to actually get a hit on Asami. Like, her flying in this is just so cool and just so badass. (laughs)
1: I love it. It just reminded me of uh, what came out on Xbox uh, Game Pass, Crimson Skies. Mm. Like, just such crazy stuff going on. And, like, her plane just, like, taking everyone out like a tank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was so, so much fun. I mean, it just shows you how awesome she is.
0: Absolutely. And the twins, Eska and Desna, are the ones to manage to deal the fatal blow to the plane as Oogie crash lands outside of the portal and Korra and the crew are apprehended. And so their mission, what they thought were going to have the odds against them, they just weren't able to do it. Which again, is one of the things that I really love about Legend of Korra is how often they lose. And it's something that really builds um, great tension and ebbs and flows in a story. Um and i i really appreciate the fact that they didn't make it but now it's like oh okay well they didn't make it but there's still there's still someone out there who isn't captured and i really love the, the way that they set this up and i think that going into this uh these kind of final scenes uh or these final episodes they really did a great job of like really raising the stakes here and really making it um, have good tension.
1: Without trying to jump the shark too much. Like, they, they haven't yes. done anything where you'd be like, oh, that's crazy. How could this have happened? There was a number of times Aang and the gang were in situations where you're like, they're boned. Yeah. Like, and the hammer just never really super fell. Yes, um, absolutely. Maybe mm-hmm. Blue Spirit, arguably, probably being the closest, um, at least early on. And then I guess, you know, end of season one. But it's still, it's like, yeah, there were times where it's like that each time they got out. Yes. And they got away. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen this time.
0: Yeah. And it really does go to show that I think that they are more they're more okay in Korra showing them at like a lower point. And I think it, it's this it's a sense of Avatar the Last Airbender very much has that high fantasy feel to it where it is, you know. Uh, a mythic tale where you are going to have these ups and downs, you know, successes and losses. But for the most part, at the end of the day, they're gonna they're gonna find a way to succeed, or they're gonna find a way to be okay at the end end of the day. And they really only start to like when they do experience loss. It's in a huge way at the end of book two, when Azula takes bossing say. And I think that that's what makes that episode, Crossroads of Destiny, so potent and so memorable. Because up to that point, we have seen Ang and the gang just like succeed the entire time, and then they didn't. And I think that's it's the two different techniques where you have, like we have in Korra here where they will uh you know constantly be in a situation where they either they're not strong enough or they're failing and they just gotta scrape by. They gotta find a way to, you know, rise against the odds. It makes for just really compelling uh characters and stories to see these, you know, these people really struggle and make their way against all these odds, versus Aang and the gang you feel comfortable and you feel like everything's always going to be okay until it isn't. And I, and I think that that's just such a huge difference between the two series really boiled down in a way.
1: I really like that, uh, that in-depth look, and I hadn't thought about it until now.
0: Look, if there's any way for me to, if there's any excuse for me to go back and talk about Crossroads of Destiny, I always will. <laughs> <laughs> As they're apprehended, Unalak confronts them, in very, very typical big, bad, you know, evil guy moment. I will tell you my evil plan
1: and what I'm <laughs>
0: going to do. While you are
1: under and my you caption. stay right there while I tell you <laughs> and don't go anywhere. Oh, and that's the thing, though. They like
0: in this instance, they truly can't do anything. It's not like they are confronting him. And it's like before they're like the fight can even start. It's like, oh, no, he's captured them. And as far as he knows, he has won. And he is just gloating now to kind of go over that. And, you know, Unalaq confronts them and talks about why he's doing what he's doing, arguing that Wan did nothing but sow chaos by separating the spirits from the rest of the world. And I think that this is the closest we get to seeing Unalaq's, like, motivation. But it's still a little murky and I'm not a hundred percent sold on it. It doesn't feel quite as compelling.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's saying that, well, he opened Pandora's box, so I'm going to open it wider Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to try and close it again. It's like, wait, no, this, this isn't going (laughs) to (laughs) work.
0: And Korra and Tonrock try to, I said Tarlock earlier, by the way, I apologize. I think I said Tarlock instead of Tonrock, you know, The names sound familiar, so I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But Korra and Tanrak, they try to appeal to Unalak's humanity, which has essentially disappeared at this point. And and again, we see him talking about this, but I think and even, uh, again, I just wanted that visual, like some kind of physical change in him to show how he was becoming more or less and less human instead of just the words that he was saying. I feel like it would really reinforce that in a way um, that could give us a visual key instead of just only through dialogue.
1: I'm with you. I'm trying to think of other of examples of it, but that's definitely been used and not overused mm-hmm. yeah. in a lot of media. I feel like that would have been perfect for Avatar to do. Mm-hmm.
0: So, again, kind of breaking down a fight like this, it's, again, this a mixture of the old and the new using bending with technology, taking elements of, like, an aerial assault that even though before with the gang we may, we may have seen with them using APA, now we're seeing with the plane and all of the possibilities that come with, you know, having benders really being a, you know, a A huge part of that process and then them realizing that this is going to be the best way for them to try and do it but because unalak was ready for them it it very much did have this you know it had the dogfight feel to it but it's very much also that um the feel of like the storming at normandy where You know, they're like, okay, we know we're gonna take them by surprise, but at the same time, they're also bunkered in there, and it's gonna be hell to try and make our way in there. And I feel like they really tapped into a lot of those uh, very traditional fight battle motifs uh, for this, and I think it worked really effectively. That's an
1: interesting way to look at. I never thought. Yeah, it's like you're almost kind of like you know, seeing through the eyes of like the soldier, like all the other battles going on.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it is just them. That's the thing. It's just them. And there's no, they have no backup. Um, But, and to kind of touch on this one last time, you know, with Unalak, his steadfast belief in the face of Korra and the crew's disbelief in this sense of just like, he, they're they're like telling him like, dude, like this is, you're talking about like unending darkness. And it's, trying to convince someone that what they're doing is going to doom everyone. But seeing someone who is so far gone is a really tough thing, I think, to to watch and to see a character go through, especially when they are apprehended like that, because they feel like it's hopeless.
1: Very true. And I mean, based on what we know of Unalak, this seems to have gone from perfectly fine jerk at council meetings to um like trying to bring unending darkness to the world like it wasn't like something where like there was like breadcrumbs of his motives and stuff like that like this is kind of also a bit shocking for the audience i mean let alone cora Mm -hmm. definitely because like at some point he had to have been human like he didn't have this belief and then he did like yeah
0: it, that's And that's the problem that I feel like we're, you know, again, we're really missing out on. And I, I think that especially we think back to the uh seeing the story of Avatar 1 and the way that he was changed by Rava and the way that the people were changed by the spirit. Like, I think how cool would it have been if like Unalak had been affected by Vatu or by a spirit in a way that one of the like humans were who had been affected by the spirits. The ones that had like, they had a spirit jump through them and they had part of them that had like physically changed. And you suddenly have like those people, they, they, they weren't able to, you know, you know, live as, you know, in the same way, imagine what like Unalak's life would have been. Is he going to try and twist it and make it seem like this is, you know, a good thing, or does he hide it and is it revealed in a way? I don't know. So, as they're all there, they all think all is lost. But alas, Boomy has survived.
1: <laughs> oh, Boomy. Oh, Boomy. You crazy bastard.
0: <laughs> and we see that he is soon confronted. Uh, by a spirit which we see him just like he first tries to punch it and then he throws a knife
1: at it which dude could throw knives right Boomy has seen things
0: that was was awesome like and he kind of like right just like right in the middle
1: too and also without thinking about it this dude has not this is not the first time he's done
0: this (laughs) yes I mean that that's the thing and I think it's it's really the um it's it's one of the, he is such a great character in the sense that like he's so crazy and so goofy that we think it's like oh he's just silly, but it's like listen we have to remember this was Ang and Katara's first kid, and they are teaching him like everything they know. You know that Toph is probably going to teach fundamentals. Sokka's going to teach him fundamentals. Like he's getting trained by some of the best fighters in the world. <laughs> It's like, he's going to have great instincts and great fundamentals. You know he is.
1: And then he just throws us this entire curveball. Yeah. Takes out the flute.
0: And I love how he's just like, he's like scrambling for something and he takes out the flute and he's like, oh, he's like, oh. And then he begins to play the flute and the spirit is calmed and it begins to kind of dance around. And I, I, I really love that it is we never know exactly where that flute came from, but it feels like that is very much a part of Aang that was there to help him at that moment. Because... it Spirit whistle. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, it feels like that is very much a, it's like a non-violent option, and it's what calms the spirit in that moment. And I feel like that was a really cool thread to connect uh, with him being Aang's, Aang and Katara's kid. So when he does this, the spirit begins to kind of sway a little bit, is grooving from it, and then Naga and Pabu show up. And Boomi's like, all right, we got the crew. Let's do this. We know what we got to do. It's up to us to save the day. <laughs> I love them. Uh,
1: Leroy! Uh, Leroy!
0: But we truly get a Leroy Jenkins moment later in this episode. My God I know. No, <laughs> so we back at the camp we see that Cora tries to make an appeal to Eska and Desna, and I love that Cora is just like desperately pleading with them, like you your father is not your father anymore, and just really pleading with them and even though Desna's resolve seems to be fading as he like he's, I mean he says we have to trust our father he is the wisest man we know and but I love it was such a great use of animation because as he is saying this you see he is struggling to like say the words and as he's saying it you can see that the belief is fading in his own eyes like and we've seen it progress over the course of this season and desna has been the one who has been doubting unalak throughout this and i think it was a very uh poignant choice to have uh you know unalak really or sorry to have desna like have this moment but i also thought it was an interesting choice that desna didn't turn in this moment um, I think that it subverted some expectations there because I feel like in other shows you would see somebody like finally Cora gets through to them. No, he's 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 drinking up the flavor aid. That uh, that his that his dad is right, and we're gonna see what happens yeah. to them uh, at the end. Yeah, of Yeah, I'm scene. surprised
1: by it too because I f- they're really. At this point, you know, to what we were kind of talking about, the only known connection we have to of him having once just been a totally normal human. Yeah. And now being crazy. And we have to see through their eyes that they're like, oh, no, no, mm-hmm. no, he's gone.
0: Yeah. Definitely. So Susan wanted to le- at least make a point here and said, so the scary twins are the last resort. Great. <laughs> uh, come play with us oh my god <laughs> so back to the adventures of boomy we see him enter uh the camp uh he i love this it's like the guard is walking by you see boomy is just like plastered up against the wall with Nugget uh and papu just like trying to hide and the guard just is like wait a second and it's such
1: a great like solid snake this episode moment. had been so serious they needed that 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 kernel of really fun and that was fantastic
0: uh, and uh, you know classic infiltration it's like scooby-doo oh yeah takes takes the outfit the guard's outfit and uh you know is kind of making his way into camp and this this gets to the point where i mentioned earlier where we see a guard who comments as we see all of these spirits hanging around the camp he's like man he goes if i wanted somebody just hovering over my shoulder the entire time i would have stayed home you know with my mother-in-law <laughs> which is like you know <laughs> granted it's very funny <laughs> like <laughs> it's a good line but that's legit the only time we hear any of the normal soldiers talk about the fact that there are all these spooky spirits just hanging around and they think it's okay <laughs> like <laughs> what like how 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 good is that paycheck, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what is Unalak promising you? <laughs> like, we don't really even get Unalak, like you know, quote unquote, preaching to the choir. Like, you know, speaking to all of these people. It's just it's such blind faith and blind following. That, like, we never even see him give direction. Is it, do we, have, does he have a second in command that he's given these orders to? Is he, like, you know, does he have some kind of spiritual influence over them? We just don't see how Unalak is convincing these people. He just, they're just there because they are part of the Northern Water Tribe and they're going to follow him. And it just, again, that feels like a missed opportunity and it feels like it falls a little flat. Comparison, you see some of the, like, the, uh uh you see some of the non-benders that follow Amon. You see his lieutenant who, like, is, like, loyal to him because he truly believes, like, what Amon is doing and he thinks that it is right. And when he realizes that Amon has, like, betrayed everything that he stood for, he goes to confront him and Amon shuts him down. And again, that, that was just a great, that was a great use of like having the main antagonist, the people under him. And when you see the people under him or her begin to falter, you know that they are at that breaking point. And we just didn't get that from Unalak whatsoever.
1: It's a very good point. God, I love the first season. The, the
0: closest that we get it is is with Eska and Desna. But again, it's like, it's not, it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same.
1: Yeah, because Eska and Desna's motivations weren't shared with him. Exactly. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, and that's, that's uh, more with tied you, with
0: family, too. And family's way more complicated on that front, too.
1: That's very true. But yeah, I I like your point, which is that, yeah, it's like, I feel like the whole first season, it was like, it it was just Amon was more at the forefront of a movement versus, you know, basically what is essentially a lone wolf's, you know, gambit to cause chaos in the world. Absolutely. So
0: we see uh, that Boomy then infiltrates the camp. And quickly, as he goes, he's like, all right. He goes, I'm going to take out my flute. I'm going to play this flute. I'm going to get the whole spirit army to, like, join with me. And instead, it just draws all the spirits to him. And they just, like, bomb rush him. And then just chaos ensues. Boomy runs from them as they go to dive on him. He runs over, hops in one of, like, the mechs. And then begins to just, like, totally take that thing for a whirl and spirits fly into the mech suit. And then he legitimately just destroys the entire camp as like, he connects the, like the tow cable and just like sweeps around the entire camp. And you know, it's, it's so absurd and so ridiculous that it truly, before we even have the line later, it makes you think, Like, okay, were all those far-fetched stories that he said, were they actually true? Because if you just take this out of context, this is a ridiculous situation.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I just destroyed an entire army camp with spirits running around single-handedly. With a flute. Yeah, yeah, that's great, Boomy.
0: And Susan wanted to make a comment on this point. She said, this is called, literally, how Boomy saved Tenzin's ass and he needs to listen, adventure. Boomy being the non-bender of Avatar Aang's family, this mini arc felt satisfying to have him save the day and hopefully win some respect from his brother. Yeah, I, I mean, let's let's talk about this mini arc here and the fact that Boomy did save the day and we did get to have this. What, what were some of your thoughts on this?
1: I loved it. I, I'm I'm very happy that they had this mini arc, especially when they had already planted the seed earlier in the season about like, oh, Boomy, you non-bender, go over there. So to have him, like, actually, like, just, come, one, kick ass, two, come up with crazy ideas that work, um, but also to Susan's point, the fact that, like, this is, like, him showing, it's like, here's how you actually, like, here's how this problem needs to be solved. Um, I don't it, it felt so cool. I felt like he, he was a perfect character for them to be like, look, see, non-benders are pretty awesome. I mean, we also saw Sami just completely whooping an ass in a plane before, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is a very good non-bender episode. Definitely. <laughs>
0: So, for the final part of this episode, we see Tanrak and Asami bid Korra farewell, as Tanrak is is in pretty rough shape. And Bolin feels nervous, and Korra is ready and determined. The crew enters the portal as Unalak charges ahead with the spirits at his side, which are quickly rebuffed by an Avatar and state Avatar State infused airbending slice. Like this air like this Avatar State move that Korra does is just so cool. Like just a wave of air that just beats back this entire charging force of uh of spirits. And it's just such a cool use of airbending in that moment. I loved it. Ah.
1: I agree. I do like the Avatar State bending that we get in this.
0: And then we get some great Mako and Bolin fights as they are holding off Unalak as Korra goes to attempt to close the portal. We see uh, Mako and Bolin doing kind of their brotherly combo, this like kind of back and forth using, you know, the cover from Bolin's earth, followed up with the barrage of Mako's fireballs. And as they are still fending him off, Vatu's voice echoes saying... Do you feel it, Rava? It draws closer. And then we see as the planets align, they realize that they're too late. The two beams of energy from the different portals bend and curl together, and then they release a blast of violet energy that goes through this part in the spirit world into the physical world, and then across the entire planet And then Vatu is released. They lost.
1: Now what? This is why you don't cross streams. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They really need the Ghostbusters Uh, here. Oh, I feel like it actually like now having thought about it, I'm like, oh my goodness, actually, yeah, I guess with the spirit army. Yeah, this kind of (laughs) works. Um uh oof, I guess comes to mind. Like the You fight all this, you do all this, like, you know, fighting through the camp, you fighting, you know, from the plane, you know, fighting Gunalak earlier. And then, you know, you have this epic scene with Mako and Bolin, which I would do want to go back to very quickly because I felt like the Blue Spirit episode was like one where it was not forced, but like, you know, two people that had never fought together fighting so closely and having such great synergy. Very cool to watch maybe a little hard to believe <laughs> this is so believable yes two brothers that have been together forever you know they know everything about each other and you know they've done this yeah and they know that the stakes couldn't be higher so they
0: are just pulling out all the stops and they are just trying their hardest
1: serious business bowling with mako it's it's pretty cool um and then after all that all that vatu's out mm-hmm mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> they they could not have found like a more depressing like way to have an episode end yeah. in a way which is like well it's like you I mean granted you know Avatar is going to win in the end this isn't Game of Thrones <laughs> um but it's just like one of those things where you're just like well this is about as deep a hole as you could dig yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah that's I mean that's like that's definitely the the long and short of it is that they are in the worst possible place that they could be and now they have to find a way to get out of it um which i think again makes for such a compelling uh story ahead and how they're going to do that and that brings us to the end of this episode man we're here what's some what are some of your just overall thoughts um and uh overall favorite moments uh from this episode kevin
1: I think overall thought i think we all agree that this was an awesome episode for boomy i think it was a a needed one Mm -hmm. especially after he was kind of getting roughed up by his siblings (laughs) (laughs) for being the non-bender um so i think his arc obviously fantastic um the favorite moment i will go back to the I, i just think bending in the sky with planes and bombs and stuff i'm like i'm sorry like there there's been cool mixes of bending and tech that was the best so far um and otherwise, this is, uh, yeah. Just I think this does set up what I thought to be a you know a good wrap up after the whole season for what it was. Like now, it's like with it hitting the accelerator, it's like all right, this is an appropriate amount of fast for these last couple episodes. Um, so I do feel like this uh, this while obviously the episode ends on an extremely negative note um, for a fan, I felt like it was a positive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that it's uh, it really it really does. Uh, get you excited because you're like, what is going to happen next? I truly don't know how they're going to do this, and uh, very much in the same way where you know we we reach those low points, we're not sure how they're going to how they're going to get out of it. It makes us really excited to see what they do to get out of it. Um, but yeah, all right, guys. Well, that's going to conclude today's discussion of episode 12 from Book Two of Cora Harmonic Convergence. Um, Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We're excited to be back at Quora here. uh, And we got two more episodes for this season. And then uh, we're going to be wrapping that all up. And then we'll be moving on to book three. So, uh, Kevin, thank you again for joining me. Great having you here.
1: Thanks for having me. And thank you to Susan for kind of being around as well.
0: Yes, thank you. (laughs) Um, So, folks, remember, you can find us on all the social medias, on Twitter at Portalcast Pod on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast, and you can also find us on legendofportalcast.com. You can also find and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all those listening programs. Tune in, and while you're there, and if you can, leave us a rating or review. It helps other folks find us, and we'd love to hear what you think of the show and what you'd like to hear about next. Additionally, if you want to join the conversation with us, hop on over to our Discord. You'll see a link in the show notes where you can join us. We've got all different types of channels to be able to discuss everything from the different seasons to YouTube videos, theory discussion, art, memes. We got it all. So be sure to stop by, and we hope to see you next time. We'll be back. Episode 13. Two more to go. And until then, and until next time.
1: Let us leave.